coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together, another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And this is the Other Side of Hell podcast. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. What's up? How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. It's grateful. Uh, it's good to be seen. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're here for another show. We got a really interesting show today. Uh, I, sometimes, sometimes our topics are very, very positive. Uh-huh. We talk a lot about, uh, you know, really healthy things, things that we're dealing with in recovery. Today, I want to take a little trip down memory lane. Yeah. Because we got a really, really good war story today from Allison. And, you know, Allison's story really reminded me of what exactly using did for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got something out of it, right? Or we wouldn't have done it for so long. Yeah. I mean, it did. It did. It it, it worked for a minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, and I think we hear that said a lot, uh, or at least, you know, I know I... I hear it said a lot that, uh, you know, drinking wasn't the problem. It was the solution. Yeah, That's something that she, she mentions in her story. So what was the problem? Yeah. What was the problem? Well, I mean, why were we doing this to ourselves? Well, we have to remember that it didn't always, it didn't always have the, the vast negative consequences, not in all cases, right? In some cases it most certainly did, but not in all cases. Um, in my case, it, it wasn't always um, such a negative thing. Um, and I still have these instances even now because I have friends that still drink. They, they drink normally, um, quote unquote normally, right? And, uh, and I have these instances where I can be around these individuals and I can see the way that they drink and, and, and they they remind me of what it was like when it was fun. <laughs> right. Because for me, 
I I have so I've I've disassociated myself from the fun yeah. that it was because for me the last you know four or five years of it was just not fun. Right. It wasn't fun, but I was still getting something from it. Mm-hmm. You know. So when we talk about that, Willie, when we talk about what using or drinking did for us, what what did it do for you? Uh, you know, right, right off the bat, um, it, it gave me a sense of belonging, um, because I didn't, I didn't necessarily like getting drunk or high f- at first, you know, it took me some work. You had to drink through yeah. it. Yeah. I had to, I had to use through it. Like, it I mean, I, I'd get sick, you know, um, I didn't particularly care for the, the taste of any of it and. Um, I didn't particularly care for the way that it made me feel because generally, like, I had a, a, a bad reaction. But, you know, I, I wanted I wanted what everybody else seemed to have, which was, uh, seemed like they were all having a pretty good time. And, and I wanted some of that good time, you know. I wanted to have fun and be able to tell the funny stories. And, you know, I think, I think the first thing that I probably ever got intoxicated on was rolling down a hill and mm. I would roll down the hill. I'd get up and fall over and laugh about it and keep run up the hill and roll down the hill, fall over, laugh about it. And this was like last year. Or? Yeah. This was a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, eventually, eventually it put me in a place where, uh, I, I felt ease and comfort in my own skin. Yeah. Something that I'd been looking for but didn't know I needed you know mm. I didn't I didn't realize how how discomfort I was in, in my own skin when I was little and you know I started using young I wanted that I wanted that ease and comfort at a very young age yeah so you know ultimately you know it gave me that sense of belonging because everybody that I hung out with did that kind of stuff and if you didn't do that kind of stuff then I didn't really hang out with you yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it really gave me the relief that I had been searching for that you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, we hear that a lot in, in people's stories is just sort of the, uh, the, the overwhelming sense of peace or calmness that comes from, mm-hmm. from that first drink. Um, I can tell you that, uh, in in my own drinking career or using career like i uh eventually like i was the the life of the party mm-hmm. you know i yeah. i i was the fun one i was the the funny one i was the crazy one that you know would friggin run around parties in girls underwear like you know, like I, really, I I was the crazy one. I'd like to see that they were really frilly. <laughs> they they uh, they felt really. I could still feel them today. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing is like, and it, and it gave me exactly what you're talking about, which is like this sense of belonging. It's like, oh my gosh, nobody's like Cameron. We we want Cameron to come to this party. We want Cameron, yeah. you know, here. We want Cameron there. And then eventually, you know, I was the, the one that could get things. And, and that's, a, you know, at a, at a time when everybody was sort of experimenting. And then eventually it was just me by myself. You know? <laughs> yeah. Eventually, like, 
that in and of itself became another thing that I had to escape was this pressure to be the fun one oh, or the man. cool one, yeah. you know? And so I would, I would eventually just drink and isolate with, you know, it was me and one other dude most of the time. You know, yeah. co-signer of my bullshit. And then it was just you. And then it was just me, yeah, yeah. To 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 be able to feel that sense of relief and calm by myself. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but not as many people in my social circle were partying the way I was still partying. They kind of grew out of it. Exactly. They all grew out of it, got married, started having kids, and I was like, fuck that. Yeah. I'm I'm here to party, guys. Yeah, because you couldn't you couldn't get comfortable in your own skin. I right? didn't know how to to live without it. Yeah, I didn't know how to to. I was just so miserable in so many different aspects of my life that you know, like there was at least this this one thing I had control over was you know my my way of of feeling peace and calm and serenity. You know, I, when I would turn my will and my life over to a bottle. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, somewhere in there, it takes a turn. Yeah. Right. Somewhere in there, it stops working. Mm-hmm. And, and you said it very interesting when we were talking before the show, what, I mean, at what point does yeah. it, does it become, does it turn on us? Well, I've heard it said in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it goes, you turn alcoholic when you stop bragging about how much you're using and drinking and you start lying about how much you're using and drinking. And, uh, I know that certainly became a reality for me, but you know, the, the, the alcohol and the drugs were two totally different worlds as far as the way that they made me feel, you know, the first time that I ever did meth, um, we had made it packed to not do that kind of thing. Right. So the first, the first thing that it did for me was allowed me to break my own standard of living. Mm. Interesting. You know, it, it allowed me to, to, to cross a line that, um, had I had more support, I w I wouldn't have crossed, but, um, because my buddies are doing it, um, I fell right in line Yeah, and, and I remember, um, the excitement that it gave me and, um, the sense of power that I had because I did, a, I did a line of crank and, and, um, I was young, like, like 13, 14 years old. Mm, wow. And, um, uh, I remember running around town high on, on crank and it felt so amazing that I never wanted to, to change that feeling ever. And I chased that feeling for the remainder of my days, yeah. you know, and sometimes I would achieve it, you know, mm-hmm. especially early on before it became uh, highly addictive in my life. But, you know, I was a daily meth user by age 16. So it didn't take me long to go from one line to, to smoking it and doing lines and selling it and falling into that, that place. But it, it became my reputation as well. You know, um, I, I, I had a reputation for being a drug druggie in the so drug world. Did, did you, were you embracing that part of your identity? Yeah, do you think? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It was nothing better than being like, a drug dealer. Yeah. I'm the fucking guy. Yeah. I'm the man. Right. I'm the man. But, uh, you know, it, it, it did. It, it, it gave me ease and comfort and, and I really enjoyed it for a long time. Yeah. I really did. Um, if I didn't enjoy it, 
as much as I did, I wouldn't have done it as long as I did. But man, I had a, a great time. Yeah. Running the streets, mm-hmm. being up late, mm-hmm. going to parties, meeting different people, getting on adventures, having adventures, having promiscuous you know, sex, having sex, making money. And, and, um, I, I thought I could stay there forever. You know, I had, I had been warned about the, the dangers of drugs most of my life and how they could become addictive. Unfortunately, that doesn't resonate with me. You telling me that you're going to become addicted to this and your life's going to turn to shit. Uh, it, what, what does that even mean? I have to well, experience did, did it. you believe it? No. Exactly. Like, I think that we hear that stuff and we're just like, yeah, I get that that happens to some people. Yeah. But it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Right. I'm better than that. I'm smarter than that. Like, I, I will be the one that is able to just let go of it. <laughs> I, can, I quit when I want. I can quit anytime I, I want. I just don't want to. Why would I want to? Yeah. Why would I want to? Right. There, there were the, you know, there, there was no negative consequences for, for so long or if they were, they were minimal. Yeah. Know? They weren't bad enough where it was just like, well, like this is fine. Like, okay. So I, you know, had a shitty Sunday because I'm dealing with a hangover. Like, so what? Well, you even, know? even that played to my ego at one time, you know, like I could remember bragging about. How hungover I was. Hungover? Oh, I'm so fucking hungover. Yeah, let's bro. go get some pancakes. Yeah. So fucked up last night. Yeah, well, and that's what we would do too, right? Is like we would we'd spend the next day like rehashing all the <laughs> great and funny shit that happened the night before. Yeah. You know, like really trying our best to just capture and savor that moment where, you know, for whatever reason I just didn't give a fuck about who I was. Yeah. Because I think that for me, like what, what I think about most is like, I am by nature a very insecure individual. And because of that, like oftentimes when I am talking to people or communicating with, with individuals, like my brain has to first go through this process of passing every word or thought through a filter that filter is comprised of different questions one is what is this person going to think if i say this two is um is this going to make me look stupid and three is um you know like will i be able to live with myself after i say this right So like, I've got this filter that I would pass every word and idea through before I would convey it to any sort of individual. And what drugs and alcohol did for me was remove that filter. And I no longer would second guess or overthink every word or comment or anything that I said. And, um, and instead I would just be, yeah, right? Like I would just exist. I would just interact. I would just be present. I would just um, exist in this place where I was comfortable with everything. And, uh, And, you know, I can remember filling a different version of that with different drugs and alcohol. Like you said, it was kind of a different world depending on what it was. Um... And 
And then, you know, for me, like the one that was most effective is the one that really started taking over, you know, like uh, opioids just became like, because everything else made it would like, would soften that filter with those questions, right? But opioids would just completely remove it. And not only that, but oftentimes remove this notion that I needed to even have a conversation. <laughs> and yeah. and because like I just became just so okay that I can just fucking chill and I don't give a fuck what you think of me. Like yeah. I don't even need to have a conversation. Um and 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 then eventually, you know, I I discovered that enough alcohol will do that too. Right. And, and that's when things just really, you know, when I started using it and abusing it for that specifically for so long, when I started seeing, um, a, a coping mechanism in it, um, is really when it began to, to, uh, to ultimately just rule my life. Yeah. And, and then. You know, I'm doing it even when it feels like it's not such a great idea. And I'm doing it, you know, in instances where I know that, you know, this I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to end up being too fucked up in front of these people if I do it now or whatever. Like and, and finding myself in all these situations where this is probably not the best time to do this. <laughs> But I'm going to do it anyways because it's going to give me a, a, a certain degree of that relief. Yeah. And I'll deal with the fucking consequences later. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's, it's interesting how, you know, what works becomes eventually that much of an issue. Um, but it's important, I think, for people to hear that there is reasons why we do the things we do, you know, like there is, you know, a, a reason why the drugs and alcohol became as bad as they did. Yeah. And it's because of the, the restless, irritable and discontent nature within myself that the drugs and alcohol were a solution to. For sure. Yeah. I just remember like this, overwhelming sense of confidence that I used to get. Yeah. Courage, right? Courage. Like, all of a sudden you're talking to girls. Yeah. Taking them home, going to their place. That was huge for me. Me too. You know, the, the validation through sexual activity was, was major for me. And, and I, I never felt like I had anything to offer anybody, you know? And if, if I had a pocket full of dope, then, you know, like that helped. And yeah, I, you know, now I have something to offer and maybe I'll get laid over, over it, you know, and then, and then I can go and I can tell my buddies about how great my night was Yeah, and, and everybody will praise me on, on how everybody think I'm so cool, yeah, you know, um, cause ultimately I just wanted to be loved, you know, I wanted yeah. to feel, oh, yeah. feel, I wanted to feel that, that love and that companionship and. I just didn't know how to identify that stuff, man. I never knew how to, how to, how to go through and like look at the way that I feel and, and how I'm using all these different things to change that. Yeah. We're so oblivious to it at the time. Yeah. Like we don't, I mean, a lot of times we're not consciously 
in in my case, I don't think I was consciously aware of just what exactly it was doing for me. I just knew that I just knew that this is what I do, and as a result, I get some of the things that I've been longing for. Yeah, I've been I get that validation. I get you know that um, those sexual exploits. I get that feed of feed of my ego. I, I get all that, you know, through, um, doing this drug and feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, but, but once we're able to look at it and see the behavior and see a little bit more about like why we're doing some of that stuff for me, like it doesn't, it didn't change me doing that stuff it just changed the way it made me feel yeah well i mean there was a time that you could go through one weekend get completely fucked up and then not do it the next weekend and still look your friends in the eyes right right? like like i i remember being able to to go small periods without like i didn't you know once once i started using on on a really regular basis i didn't want to but you know i could i could be out of dope and not feel like my world was going to collapse around me. You know, I could feel, I just felt like, well, it'll come around or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and eventually it, it became to the point where I had to have it all the time. You know, that I had to have that sense of ease and comfort. Like I had to have my relief system in place before I could do anything. Yeah. And it became a, a non-issue. Like that's just what we do now. And everything was a party. That's all, that's all that mattered. Yeah. Everything was a party from, from the moment I opened my eyes to the moment I passed out. It was all about getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. Mm-hmm. And, and it, eventually it turned on me Yeah, to the point where if I didn't have it, you know, I became irritable, restless and discontent again. And, and the, it was so overwhelming that I was willing to do just about anything to make sure that I did have it. And I, it be, I, my world became really violent and really dark and, and dangerous. And the, the party turned into, I, I really like what one of our guests said, you know, it, it, at first it was a party and then it was a party with problems or at first it was fun. And then it was fun with problems. And then it was just problems. Yeah. And I got into a lot of legal, legal trouble. I said things to cops that, that by rights should have got my ass kicked. Um, you know, I hurt people that, um, that didn't deserve it. You know, nobody, nobody deserved the shit that I put them through in order for me to feel okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I never did again, you know, eventually that turned and and I knew at a deep level that this isn't fucking okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes it takes like what, what Allison was talking about, you know, other people or, or negative, real, real negative situations for us to open our eyes and be like, holy shit, man, this isn't what normal people do. Right. This isn't normal. Yeah. You know, it's not normal to sit there and lie to your parents about what you just stole, knowing that they know that you fucking stole it and still just denying through your teeth that, no, it wasn't me. It was, you're the only one it could have been. But it wasn't. Yeah, it was me. Uh, always, it always was me. Yeah. You know, I couldn't stand myself. And then the more I used, the more lines that I crossed, the, the more I, 
um, degraded myself, the more I had to use, like the, the perpetual cycle got worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, and to the point of insanity and, um, you know, and then it went from what they do to me or do for me to what they did to me Mm. and what I became as a result of that, you know, um, I used and I drank every day, every day. Yeah. And, uh, for a long time I didn't want to stop. And then I used and I drank every day and I wanted to stop and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And then I used and I drank every day and I stopped and I wanted to use and drink. And, and that cycle lasted most of my life. You know, when I wasn't using, I wanted to. And when I was using, I didn't want to, I had no, no place to call home. I had no sense of, um, serenity anywhere in my life. And, um, the drugs and alcohol just continued to feed the hope that one day this is going to be the right bottle. This is going to be the right bag. Right, right. This is going to be the right score. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the one that either this is going to, this is going to do it. Yeah. See, this is either going to be the one that gets me so fucked up that I'm ready to get clean, or it's going to be the one that gives me the ease and comfort that I need or it's going to be the one that takes me out completely. And like, fortunately, you know, I found the, I found the bottom I needed, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't come without a lot of practice <laughs> and a lot of pain, <laughs> a lot of pain. Yeah. Practice and pain. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you're, as you're talking and, and dude, I really identify with like everything that you said, but what I mean, what what happens like what where the turn happens for me, you know, it's like when because you were saying, you know, I could go a weekend and party and still be able to look at my friends in the eye and still be able to, you know, like hold my head up high. And then, you know, too many weekends like that in a row or too many fucking days like that in a row, all of a sudden. I have within me this inner ability to recognize what is what what is happening as a result of self-control and what is happening because I'm completely out of control. And the minute that I can recognize that things in my life are happening because I'm out of control, it comes with this new element of shame. Yeah. And that shame will begat more, more negative behavior, right? And it's like, once I now have this shame behind my behavior, I'm no longer looking you in the eye. I'm no longer able to carry my head high. And there's this sense of defeat behind every action. And then like the instances of ease and comfort that come seem like they're just shorter and shorter and shorter and it's like more it becomes more about the chase like i'm spending 80 percent of my time plotting scheming um seeking and using the drug and 20 percent of my time is spent you know, actually under the influence and probably only 3% of that time is actually feels like relief. Right. Usually about the time you cope, you're dope. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it goes from his hand to yours, like, oh, yeah, the hope is there. Then it's fucking happy day, right? Yeah. 
Um, and, then, and then for me, dude, it was like all these situations where, um, you know, like I spend the time actively seeking, you know, get the finally get the fucking product fucking chipper as fuck, you know, happy day, get home, consume, and then have it not give me the result that yeah. I was after. And then just not only did I not get the high, but I've now sunk to a new low where yeah. it's like, fuck, that was like the opposite of what I wanted to happen. And for me, like that was the catalyst behind me taking the action that would ultimately lead to my sobriety yeah. was like feeling even fucking worse after, after plotting and scheming and seeking all fucking day, getting the product, swallowing the shame, fucking consuming, and then immediately just going, that didn't work. In fact, I feel like even more shit. Yeah. And, and, and the insanity is, is that more seemed to be the, the answer. Oh yeah. I was going to do more. I mean, yeah. that, that, that I knew like those were my options and I had options, right? Like the options were, I either got to do more or I got to fucking stop. And it's like you said, like, is this going to be the hit that either is enough for me to finally fucking quit or the one that gives me the relief or the one that takes me out? And and I think that when we're able to look at each fucking venture into that substance that way, that we're really fucking aware of the fact that this is an issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, deep down, it, yeah, for sure. And I knew it was an issue. By, like, by that time, I knew it was an issue. Right. Yeah. By that time. Like, by the time I knew that I had to get my shit together and that... I, I needed the help, but I wasn't ready. Like, yeah, I absolutely yeah. fucking knew, but I wasn't ready. It was an issue. Yeah. Because, because what do we do? Right. Like, like, uh, it just seems so big. Getting, oh. getting sober seems so big oh, and yeah. so out of out impossible. Of, it seemed it impossible. Seems, it did. It yeah. really did seem impossible, especially after a couple of goes at it, you a know, couple of tries, oh, unsuccessful it, attempts or, or successful attempts. You yeah. know, we, we come back and Allison talks about that a little bit in her story is like, you know, we recognize that it's a problem and we decide that, you know, we're going to white knuckle it for a while yeah. and, and, and we're successful at it. You know, sometimes, um, we, we quit for a day or a week or a month or uh, in some people's case a year. And, um, you know, some, some women can, can do it you know, because they're pregnant, they'll quit for a while. Right. Or, right. You know, um, but that, that, that shame, that discomfort, that unease in your skin, the, the self doubt, the self hatred, the, the, you know, the remembering of, of past experiences that, that were embarrassing, all those things, they come back into our minds and, and we, we mold them over and decide that, you know, well, perhaps this time, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit, you know, I start with just a small amount mm -hmm. and, and usually for me, like in the past, that, that time after abstinence was very tricky because it seemed to work for a moment. You know, I did, I did get high after, you know, two months in jail or whatever, you know, and I could, I could feel that, that, that sensation come over my body. Yeah. Like, like kind of that, that feeling you've been chasing yeah. for 
all the time up until that abstinent period. And, yeah, and then and then the bottom came faster and faster right. after after every attempt. You know, um, every attempt to try to control it, the bottom came faster and faster and, until we go. You know, well, what, what's the use anyway? Mm-hmm. I have no control over the amounts or the times or what happens in between. I have no control over what I'm going to say or do. You know, and now it's it's not only do I not have a filter. Um, you know, I'm hurting people's feelings on, on what I'm saying and doing. People are being harmed emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And I'm just running through like just a chaos machine through everything's life. And, um, I don't, I don't like that. (laughs) Got to to where I didn't like that. Well, and that's, that's, that to me is like the bottom and, and, and that, is like how much time are we going to spend in that place like yeah. until the pain becomes great enough that we're willing to take the impossible action right the right. action that seems like so big that it's not it's not something that we're often able to look at and think of as plausible yeah you know? but you know thank god that we we get to that point where fuck man like the 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 fear of change it, is outweighing the pain that I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. Like we have to get to that point where it's like, fuck man, I cannot stay here. Yeah. I cannot stay in this space or I, I will fucking either kill myself or I've got to do something different. Yeah. And it's usually in those instances that we're able to surrender enough to get the fucking help that we need. Like by, calling somebody like checking into a rehab facility, like by doing all these things that we don't want to fucking do. Yeah. Like when I sat in rehab on day one, I'm like, fuck man, I'm in fucking rehab, rehab. Look at me here in fucking rehab. Me, you know? Yeah. Me, me. Like I thought I how could get did it. I fucking get here, you know? And And yet, like, I look at that now and I'm like, thank God I was in fucking rehab. Yeah. You know, like, that's how it had to be because the opposite of me being in rehab or the alternative to me being in rehab was continuing to just fuck up everything, everything. Yeah. The people around me, my job, fucking any sort of financial anything, lives of complete strangers, like everything was fucked up when I was out there using and drinking, you know? And, uh, and that's where it gets like, that's where it takes us. Yeah. And so we have to find a new fucking way to get that ease and comfort, to get comfortable in our skin. We have to find that sense of belonging through alternative means. Right. Right. Which is what, which is what people talk about when they say, I got to work a program. Yeah. Right. So in our case, it's a 12 step program. In Allison's case, she also works a 12 step program, but that's not often, um, always what is necessary. But what we do find is that people do the work. Mm -hmm. They do the work necessary to find out how to get all the things that using and drinking was doing for them through alternative means. Yeah. One of the biggest things that it was 
doing for me was feeling that comfortable, that, that comfort in my own skin. So let me ask you, what is it that you do today, Willie, to give you what you used to get through alcohol and through drugs? Well, um, you know, I, you mentioned program and that's one of the things that I do is, uh, I have to be rid of, I have to clean the house. You know, I gotta, I gotta clean up my mess. And so the only way that I found to be able to do that is through, um, working with another alcoholic and, and doing the suggested step work that goes along with it. And so, um, for me, what, what it all boiled down to was I lived in this immense amount of fear all the time and, and fear usually there's usually only three, um, reasons that we have any kind of fear. One is that, um, we're going to lose something that we already have and, and we fear that we're going to lose it. We're not going to get something that we want or that we've done something wrong and we're afraid we're going to get caught. Hmm. You know, those, those are, those are the basic three things that, that cause some fear in our lives. And so for me, in order to have ease and comfort, I have to recognize that I'm living in one of those three spaces and, um, uh, the, the fear of not getting what I want will compound and it'll trick me into trying to take something out there and put it in here in order to, to ease that. Right. And, and the fear of me losing something that I already have will either make me retaliate and make sure that I'm the one that gets rid of the thing, that it's not taken from me by force or by somebody else. I decide to get rid of it or I, I, I get real clingy. I get real tense mm. and tighten up around whatever it is I'm afraid that I'm going to lose. And then, you know, obviously, um, doing something wrong and being afraid that I'm going to get caught for it. That's, that's a a really innate and natural feeling. I think for most of us, like I think that most people, most of the time, and I mean, most people know the difference between right and wrong. And, and, um, a lot of times I can justify away, you know, doing something, you know, the, the check stand honesty or some little thing like that where I think I can get away with, with a white lie Mm. or, um, a bad decision or, you know, um, some alcoholic behavior. I think I can get away with it. And, and usually for me, like, like one or two of those small things I can clean up in a hurry, but, uh, as it compounds, then the alcoholism returns, the insanity of alcoholism returns, even though I'm not using or drinking. You know, I'm completely sober and be living in an alcoholic insanity. And so for me, I have to clean that house. I have to clean. I have to sweep up that fear. I have to take a look at where it's coming from and and why I have it and why I'm acting out on it. You know, so step work is a big one. You know, I've just recently stepped back into prayer and um, that's that seems to be working for me. It's helping out. You know, I went a really long time without without praying. Um I wanted to like have a, have a sincerity about it. So, um, yeah, you know, when, when it comes to like a resentment, which is, is, is natural, you know, we're going to, 
no matter how many, how many times you try to clean your house, you're going to end up with a resentment and a resentment is, is something that, you know, re revisiting the feeling of something done to me, you know, and I, I can take a resentment and I can relive that over and over and over and over in my head to where I'm, I'm justified in harming myself in order to change the way that I feel. And so, you know, um, do, doing that type of house cleaning along with prayer, talking to other people, being, being part of a fellowship and feeling valued is, is huge. You know, all that, all that stuff that we do with the show and in the rooms and with other alcoholics, with the newcomer, with other people on social media, you know, being, being part of that, staying in the middle of the herd seems to give me that ease and comfort that I need from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to, to get through life and get through hard things without, you know, jamming a bottle down my throat or, or sticking a needle in my arm or any of that. Like I can get through life without burning it to the ground because I'm so uncomfortable. It seems, you know, the literature, um, and doing what's suggested. Yeah. Asking for help. All those things. That's what I do. That's yeah. Well, I find it. <clears throat> I really appreciate that because I think that there is some fundamentals there that I think would apply to anybody that's trying to get and stay sober, that's trying to get um, the sense of ease and comfort that came from the drug or alcohol, um, regardless of of uh, which program or how you're trying to do it. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, um, one thing that we hear a lot is community. The other thing we hear a lot is helping others. Um, and, and the other is, um, clean house. Like mm-hmm. you gotta, you, we've got to fucking unload ourselves and unburden ourselves of the secrets that we carry. Um, and, and do our best to, to make right the things that were wrong. Yeah. And, and I think that those fundamental things are, are pivotal to, um, the, the ease and comfort that we feel in our spirits, you know? Um, and so I think that, uh, that the, the, the important part is, is that we continue to seek and we continue to be teachable, at least in my experience is that. Um, you know, I continue to take the advice of other people who have that ease and comfort that I want, who have that, that, uh, that way of interacting with the world that I want. Um, and you know, luckily I'm in a position or a program, um, to where I'm, I'm, encouraged to ask that individual how he's done it. And I'm encouraged to ask that individual, you know, if he can help me get what he has. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, being in an environment, a community that fosters that kind of, um, good willed nature, um, is exactly what I need. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, I choose a 12 step program and a fellowship of recovery. Um, and these are things that we get from people online and Instagram and, and, and we're lucky enough to have multiple sources for that. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's 
it's it's that community that led us to Allison's war story. Yeah, yep. um, she's just another person that we've met online who's who who shares a story that um, is very very encouraging, mm-hmm. um, and we can see in her somebody who has gone through this process of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And, and because of that, you know, we were able to get this topic from it and I'm excited to share her story yeah, with everybody. Sure. Very this unique. Is, this is the first time that she ever shared her story. Oh, and, really? And yeah, their delivery was on point. So I'm excited for everyone to hear it. You know, a mom and teacher and alcoholic in recovery. Yeah. So then I'm, I'm excited to share it too. So without further ado, this is Allison's war story. Um, I'm 39 years old. I'm from uh, Kelowna, BC, Canada. I think my story probably starts actually um, basically as soon as I was born. I am the middle of three kids. And um, right after my mom had me, she found out that my uh, biological father was having an affair. So she, you know, kicked him out and he went on to sort of you know, like engage in that relationship and went on to marry that woman and, um, you know, basically sort of forgot that we existed. And so, you know, like I was just a baby and my brother who's four years older than me, like he was the one who was for sure, like most affected in the beginning. He was the type of dad that would, you know, make plans to come and see us and then not show up. Um, his new wife was, you know, very jealous of the relationship that he wanted to have with us and felt like sort of like we were competition and she just basically wanted him for herself. So in the end, um, you know, he ended up giving up his uh, legal parenting rights um, for us. And when my mom remarried, my, um, my stepdad legally adopted us. And I think things were okay until I was about four or five when my sister was born. And so um, my sister, who's my half-sister, my mom and my stepdad's um, child that they have together, was born. And like from what my mom says, my stepdad was really, really good to us until she was born. And I don't know if it had something to do with the fact that like, you know, like that was his kid and there's some type of switch that just flipped. But you know, like all of a sudden that just completely changed the dynamic in our family. And it very visibly changed the way that he treated my brother and I, um, you know, after that, like things got pretty abusive, um, pretty violent in my household. I was lucky enough that I was never really physically abused. I was mostly, you know, neglected and emotionally abused, but My older brother, unfortunately, was more so like the victim of a lot of the physical abuse, um, as well as the emotional abuse. And sort of as we got older, um, you know, my brother couldn't cope with it. And and like his behaviors just got worse and worse. And, you know, like I just remember probably developing some type of PTSD even as a child and just like, you know, laying in my bed at night, like even with my little sister, as they would be fighting and fist fighting and hurting each other and trying to like cover her ears, um, ready to take her out of the house if I needed to. Um, I basically didn't sleep, you know, like as like 
a seven, eight, nine, ten year old child, I remember I would just lay there and pray to God that like nothing was going to happen that night. And I hope everything's just quiet. And like nobody says something stupid to just trigger this man who's just like made my house unlivable and like pure, purely chaotic. And I think the saddest part about that is, is that like as a child, I didn't know anything different. Like I thought like, oh, this is how everybody lives. Like I remember sometimes like going over to my friends' houses and being like, what kind of family is this? Like, you guys tell each other, you love each other. There's like affection. Um, your parents are nice to you. Like, it was just bizarre. Um, and you know, like the relationship that I had with my mom, like, it was almost like a parent therapist. Like, she was also a victim. Um, and she's also been the victim of trauma. You know, like, basically, it's intergenerational trauma. Like, her parents weren't kind to her either. And so she basically parented me the way that she was parented. And she talked to me about, a, a, she talked to me about her problems a lot. And I think like I had to grow up really quickly and I heard a lot of things that kids shouldn't have to hear. And basically it just created a lot of anxiety for me and stress and, you know, probably actually like in retrospect, probably depression, like that I just didn't know how to describe at the time. And so sort of like, as I went through my childhood, I, I realized like the only way that I could really make anybody happy was through good grades. And so like, as my brother sort of, you know, continued his stuff, got into drugs, uh, got into alcohol, dropped out of high school. I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to keep my head down, like do really good at school because it seems like, you know, I can do well at school. If I try really hard, it's something that I can do and just hope to not get noticed. And, um, you know, because nobody ever taught me how to talk about my feelings or how to even process them, basically just like festered and like built up um, throughout a lifetime. And I remember, um, you know, graduating high school and trying my hand at university for the first time. And at that time, my sister, who was a competitive gymnast, she developed um, like a pretty severe eating disorder. She ended up being hospitalized here in Kelowna uh, for a few months because she like physically couldn't walk anymore and eventually they moved her to Vancouver which is about a four-hour drive away from here and I remember trying to go through university um, you know I was taking five classes three labs working a part-time job trying to put myself through and um, eventually I ended up having to drop out because my stepdad was away a lot for work and the only way that my mom could go and see my sister was if I drove and so I ended up basically there every weekend and started to sort of like potentially grieve the loss of a sibling because she was so sick that she had gone from about 120 pounds down to 63 pounds. Her organs started to shut down. She was on an IV, you know, fed through an NG tube. She had calculated exactly how many calories she was getting, you know, from that IV and from that NG tube, and um, she would try to exercise it away in the bathroom, like she was sick. And this went on for almost a year. She did graduate, you know, from this program, and and she relapsed a couple of times. And I just remember at that point, like finally realizing, like the way that I was feeling wasn't normal. Like I didn't feel happy any time in my life. I felt zero joy. And that was the first time I ever went to a doctor and I talked to uh, the doctor about, you know, the potential of like maybe having depression, developing a depression. And, you know, back then, like the drugs weren't great. So like he prescribed me something that was pure crap. I remember uh, 
it made me like, I didn't eat. I um, was tired all the time. And I basically felt like a zombie of a human being. Um, and it wasn't until later in life that I, I sort of figured out which meds were going to work for me. But at that point, I was like, if this is happiness, like, I don't want any part of it. I remember just like going off of that completely and trying to cope with things, you know, sort of on my own. Um, and it wasn't until after I dropped out of university and started working full time that I met some friends who, you know, like, like to party. And I started to go to the bar um, a little bit more. And um, I just remember drinking, you know, for the first time and just like remembering like how it felt when the alcohol hit my bloodstream. Like I just, I had never felt anything even remotely close to like how calming it felt for me and how like it just that hit of like dopamine or serotonin or whatever it is where it calmed the chaos in my mind and I finally had some reprieve you know from having to think about things um and I fucking loved it like I just loved it and I started going out more I started partying more you know like I was working I was young and the crazy thing is is that because you know it's just alcohol and partying and like that's what young people do in our society like nobody gave a shit like everyone was like oh yeah Elsa's just going out again tonight and it was like almost like a bragging point where I'd be like oh yeah I got home at four in the morning started work at Starbucks at 5 30 um you know powered through had a nap and then off I went again and it was just like a continuous cycle of um that type of behavior but I felt like it was the only time that I ever really felt happy even if it was just for like an hour even if it was just for an hour like that's all I needed at that time um after a couple of years of that I met my first husband um and he was a really wonderful human being he was kind he was affectionate he was smart he cared about me. He loved me unconditionally for who I was. And I think, um, you know, I didn't really understand it at the time, but like, I didn't see myself worthy of that type of love. Like I, I had so much like internalized shame and so much, um, like I just basically self-sabotage, like anything that I thought would be good for me. Like I basically just fucking like destroyed it and burned it down burned it to the ground. And, you know, it took a couple of years for me to do that with him. Um, and right after we got married, I started partying, drinking like crazy. Um, I was verbally abusive to him. I cheated on him all of the time. And I ultimately broke his heart. And, um, you know, I still feel awful. I still feel horrible, horrible about that. I think about it all the time. It's been like almost 15 years and it's still something that like, that um that makes me sad um but now i know now i because of recovery like now i sort of have an understanding of like why i had those behaviors and that marriage lasted about three years and when we split up i immediately jumped into another relationship um it's actually the husband that i have now it's actually him and you know he liked to party too so like the very sort of foundation of our relationship was built on like partied uh we were basically toxic to each other neither of us had any fucking coping skills neither of us had healthy communication skills and we would basically just like i don't even know it was like oil and vinegar and the chemistry was there but then it was like good chemistry and bad chemistry it was both and it was a fucking hot mess and <laughs> this all happened while i was going to university uh to become a teacher 
yeah, I decided to go back to school and I figured, you know, that's, it's a great job, right? Like I can work during the week, I'll have weekends and summers off. And that's honestly like why I chose that career to begin with, to begin with until I realized that I actually truly love it. Um, things got pretty serious between us as we sort of like grew and matured as a couple and we moved away together um, to this little island called Haida Gwaii, uh, used to be known as the Queen Charlotte's uh, for my first teaching contract. And, um, you know, within it, within a year of being there, I ended up getting pregnant, uh, with my first baby and, um, it was unexpected and it's not that it wasn't wanted. It was, it was fine. I was almost 30 years old. Like we were in a pretty secure relationship. It was, it was fine, but nobody really talked to me about like postpartum depression or sort of like all of the emotions and things that come around like when you have a baby and so here I am on this tiny little island uh, in a village of like 750 people um, I've got this tiny newborn who isn't feeding well it's not sleeping um, I have no friends there no family to support me I had um, he was yeah I mean it just was rainy all the time and gloomy and it just made things worse. And I just remember thinking like, oh my goodness, like maybe I'm a horrible mother. Like, why am I not enjoying this? Like, what is it about this? That's like, that's my fault. Basically I felt like it was my fault. Like he's not a good baby. I'm not doing something right. It must be me. Why am I feeling sad all the time when really it was like, it was postpartum depression. Um, and I was isolated and, you know, depressed. Depression and addiction both love isolation. And so to make myself feel better, I, you know, started drinking again after nine months of not drinking, I started drinking again and, you know, built up another tolerance, burned down the few relationships that I had built there um, with my drinking and acting like a freaking idiot and um, moved again. So as addicts, I think sometimes we're like, oh, well, this place isn't working um, and I've burned my life down here so I'm just going to move and create a new life and everything's going to be fine it's not my behavior that I need to change it's just you know it's just me I need to move physically and uh things will be fine again I'm totally fine like absolute denial and so I moved again this time we moved up to the Yukon territory um where I taught again for uh two more years I ended up um getting pregnant with baby number two and up there like getting a um a permanent teaching contract is really hard. Like basically you're on temp for 10 years. And so while I was on maternity leave, they basically were, was like, there's not a job for you to come back to. And so I was like, okay, you know, and same thing there, you know, like before I got pregnant, like I was partying, making a fool of myself, like really ruining the only friends that I had made there and sort of like ready to move again anyways, running from my problems, running from myself. And I ended up moving back um, to my hometown, which is here, Kelowna, BC. Um, in the city that I was in, they don't deliver babies anyway. So I was like, well, screw it. Like, let's just move down. Like I'll have the baby. I don't have a job to go back to anyways. I'll try to like maybe get on the substitute teaching list there and just see what comes of it. And so after uh, my middle child was born, Oliver, um, I sort of developed the same thing. You know, I had postpartum depression. He never slept. He was up like every 45 minutes. I would have to get up, you know, at six or five o'clock in the morning with a toddler and try to entertain him all day on like no sleep. And um, I didn't really have anybody to talk to. Like my mom is lovely and she's 
for sure one of my best friends, but she has like this different view and it's very generational. I know it is this different view of motherhood where like, you know, like if you're not a martyr and you're not suffering, then you're not a good mother. (laughs) And so for her, she was like, well, nobody helped me with my kids. I had three kids. Nobody helped me and uh, you should be fine. And that was sort of her expectation of me. And so like, I really didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to. I didn't have anybody who came and helped me with a brand new baby and a toddler. Um, It was just depressing. And again, like I just turned to alcohol. I was like, I remember like being like, well, how much can I drink if I'm breastfeeding? Like, you know, I'd have the baby latched in one arm and like the glass of wine in another. And I'm trying to calculate like how many drinks can I have? And uh, it was just fucking chaos. Like it was, it was ridiculous. And I remember um, when baby number two, turned about eight months old, I got my first teaching contract with the school district. And um, at the same time, I also decided that I was going to go back to school and get my master's degree in special education. Um, And this was at the same time that we were sort of going through some assessment with my my first child. So Harrison, who's my oldest, he's nine now. um, He just had sort of like a failure to thrive, you know, like he was missing some developmental milestones. He didn't love eye contact he sort of like had these like repetitive behaviors that we were like what's going on with him you know he would like line up like all of his cars and if you like disrupted the lineup it was like meltdown city he loved you know to like turn over his his cars or anything with wheels and just like spin them for an hour he was terrified of people and so i just remember you know bringing him in for like a check on his eyes actually because he needed glasses and the pediatrician was like "Eh." like have you ever thought that he might be on the autism spectrum? Like, I'm just like, I'm seeing some sort of like signs that he might be autistic. And at that time, I didn't even really know what autism was. Like in our education program, they don't do a lot of, they don't do a great job of like explaining, um, explaining any of these things to teachers. They're sort of just like, you know, you might get like, I don't know, like maybe two hours total of like, education on these things and they're like hey go be teachers have fun when in reality like a lot of the kids that we see in our classrooms are they're not all like um like average kids who like don't have anything going on like kids nowadays a lot of them have either autism or adhd or learning disabilities or like there's no such thing as like average it's actually a myth like all of our kids are special and so we we ended up taking him in um for his assessment and yes they told us yes he does have autism and that fucking like hit me like a brick wall like I just remember thinking and it's not that I have a problem with my child having autism that's not what it is I just remember thinking like grieving a little bit about like the the child that like he may not be you know like kids with autism typically have you know a harder time with communication they oftentimes have trouble making friends you know, physical things are harder for them, learning new sports. And so I just remember thinking like, almost feeling bad for him, like, oh my gosh, your life is going to be so much harder. And um, I just didn't really know how to cope with it. And I remember, you know, the way that I tried to cope with it was again, drinking and going through my whole, you know, my master's degree um, in special ed, I learned a lot more about it and it sort of became my passion and I still love it. Um, And, you know, now that I'm graduated from that program and I'm working in the special education field, it sort of is, has become apparent to me that actually like I've got a little bit of like caregivers fatigue, fatigue where it's what I do all day at work. 
So my job at the school is I manage, you know, all of the education plans and the supports and the planning around, you know, all of our children that do have special needs or learning disabilities, intellectual disabilities. And then I come home and my life is, is very much the same thing. And it's not that I don't love my job. It's just that like, I feel like it's one of the things that like ultimately led to like me being like super burned out and, and as sick as I actually got. Um, you know, baby number two, Oliver, he started showing similar signs by the time he was two years old and we took him in and they don't even normally like do assessments with kids that are that young, but they were like, yep, that's classic autism. So we got diagnosis, uh, number two. And this time, you know, I didn't have the grieving. It was sort of like, okay, we can do this. We've done this before. Um, and that's when my drinking got sort of like really out of control. Like for the first time, I just remember, I think it was like, right after my grandma died, maybe it might've been actually like right after her funeral might've been that night. I basically got like a blackout, tried to fight my brother. Who's like six foot four and like 300 pounds, um, made a total ass of myself. And I just remember waking up the next morning and being like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with you? This is not normal. Like normal people don't fucking drink like this at all. Like this is insane. And so I just decided to quit. So for a year I didn't drink. But that's it. That's all that happened. So I put down the booze and I continued on with my life. I didn't, you know, go to therapy. I didn't really do any of the inner work on myself. I didn't um, question sort of like what happened to me as a child or like, why is it that I like to drink so much? Um, Why am I depressed? And like all of these different things. And so, of course, after a year of not doing any type of recovery, I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm good to go. Like, I can drink now. Like, if I cannot drink for a year, I can moderate and I'm going to like, I'm going to show you all like I've got this. And so of course, you know, that's a freaking slippery slope. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I felt twice as hard, twice as fast. And I remember, you know, it started as like, okay, well, I'm only going to have wine on weekends. Um, and then it turned into like, okay, well, I'm only going to have it after five. And then it turned into, um, I'm not going to bring it in the house anymore. And then it turned into like, you know, any day that ends with why is a good fucking day. And, you know, it doesn't even need to be noon some days. We're good to go. Um, (laughs) And uh, then baby number, baby number three uh, came into our life unexpectedly. Um, After I had finished my master's degree, um, still working full time, went on that mat leave, ended up, you know, again, not drinking for nine months, which was fine. And um, by the time he was two, same thing, ended up getting another autism diagnosis. So now I've got these three kids who are like, you know, like parenting's already fucking hard, right? Parenting's hard. But when you have three kids that are triggered very easily, they're triggered by each other, they trigger each other's meltdowns, they're sensory, they require like lots of extra time for things, they require like very specific schedules. Um, It was a lot. And for me, like, I think I internalized a lot of shame about like not being a good enough mother and like my kids would be better behaved if I was a better mother. And, um, the thing that sucks about our fucking society is like mommy wine culture. Like we make mothers feel like they can't actually parent without the booze. It's everywhere. Every single time I open up my Instagram, it's like, Oh, you know, it's been another hard day. Hopefully mommy's got the wine chilled and it's, that's how we make moms feel. And so like, I remember even being at birthday parties where like, 
the wine was flowing, you know, there's the present table and there's also a box of wine for the moms who's got their coffees tumblers and they can just sort of like fill up and come and go as they please. And so like, even then, like, nobody really called me out for having a problem. I knew that my behavior was obnoxious when I drank. I knew that like, I couldn't just have one drink. Like I'm not a one drink kind of girl. Like I will fucking drink everything in the house. I will throw up and then I'll drink more. Like that's the kind of drinker that I am. And it got to the point where like, I was drinking almost up to two and a half, three bottles of wine a night. And I'm a small person, like I'm 120 pounds soaking wet. And I just remember like basically blacking out every night. Like I would like open up my freaking phone because I had so many resentments and so much hurt and so much pain in my soul that I would just text whoever I felt like, you know, needed to hear about it. And I remember waking up in the morning before work, of course, because I didn't miss work for drinking. I didn't do that. Like I would wake up and I remember just like this overwhelming sense of fucking anxiety, this anxiety that was like, who did you talk to last night? Who did you text? What did you do? And I remember this one, um, this one moment of it just being enough where, you know, it had been a year and a half, um, like of like solid, solid freaking binge drinking and like building up a tolerance where my mom texted me the next morning. She said, I just wish you could quit drinking. And I don't know why that was it for me, but I just remember, um, feeling almost like it was almost like a spirit like a bit of like a higher power moment or a spiritual awakening or whatever you want to call it of just being like enough like enough I was going to bed every night and taking sleeping pills hoping I wouldn't wake up like this is not who I am this is not who I am there's no light left behind my eyes I feel spiritually bankrupt I don't like anything or anybody anymore I don't even fucking know who I am anymore like but whoever it is I don't like And so that morning I called um, a few different treatment centers and I remember just like scheduling myself into one because I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to go. And so I did it, you know, it was last month of the school year. And um, of course I felt like, oh my God, like I'm leaving the school, I'm leaving my job. There's so many, who's going to take care of the kids. There's like all these unpredictables, but it's like really, truly like it saved my life. Um, I went into this treatment center and I was with a bunch of other women who were the same as me. You know, they didn't all have the same story, but every single one of them could relate to me in some way. Um, I was never judged. I sort of was made to, you know, start some step work and like start having discussions around, you know, my sickness and the things that make us sick. And for the first time, I felt like I wasn't crazy. I felt like, you know, I'm not a bad, maybe I'm not a bad person. Maybe I'm not a bad mother. Like maybe this is a product. Like maybe the drinking is a symptom. Maybe it's a symptom of something else that's, that's shitty and it sucks. But until I freaking like get it out and like allow myself to actually process it, it can't be healed. Like it just can't be healed. And I remember it was supposed to be, I was supposed to leave. And I actually like made arrangements to stay in treatment longer because I was like, I'm not done yet. Like there, I am not done yet. Like I am just getting started. And I remember them looking at me being like, really, you want to stay longer in treatment? Like who the fuck wants to stay longer in treatment? I'm like, I do. And, um, yeah, you know, like I got out and it's been, um, almost 90 days for me now. And I gotta say, you know, like sobriety isn't fucking easy it's not easy it's goddamn work every single day and it's hard work and um there's days where I wake up and I cry the whole day because that's what I feel like that day 
and there's times when I'm so happy. There's so much joy in my heart. I feel like I could explode. Like I'm getting to do things with my kids, you know, like I can go out and do things without embarrassing myself. Like I can have like intimate, like actual relationships with people where I'm not second guessing myself or like waking up in the morning being like, what just happened? Um, and that's what life is. Like, that's what sobriety is. It's like, I'm becoming more and more proud of the person that I am every single day. And without recovery, there's no way that would have been possible. You know, like I, I am all about like my program of recovery. I go to Narcotics Anonymous and I do work the 12 steps. I have a sponsor and like I have a higher power. And that's for me, that is what saved my life. The fellowship has saved my life. Um, and, you know, just learning about myself and learning that, you know, it's okay sometimes to not be okay. And I'm not alone. Like there are so many other people out there that have mental health concerns. There are so many other moms out there that feel like they can't parent their kids without booze. Um, there are so many other, I'm sure teachers out there that are like, holy shit, like what just happened after a full day of, of, of teaching somebody else's kids and, and not thinking that they can turn to anything else, but a glass of wine, like, you know, a better life is possible. Like it is possible for me and I know it can be possible for anybody, but like, Man, it sure has been a journey. Sure has been a journey. <laughs> and I think that's it for me. If you'd like to connect with me or follow me, my Instagram handle is SoberMamaHoodis. And I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Yeah. A better life is possible for sure. Yeah. I know mine is. Yeah. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you hear her story and it's, and it's clear just how, how much she was getting from drugs and alcohol yeah. and, and, you know, how, how her life has completely changed now. Yep. And I, I loved it. I, yeah. She's got a full plate. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of it, Willie? Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate the emphasis on motherhood that she put on there. I have such a high respect for women in recovery. You know, I think there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who takes her voice and, and gets her life back. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, it seems, it seems a lot more prevalent for men to, to recovery. You know, there are more women in the movement now, but I still think it's kind of difficult. Um, just because of the heavy burden that a lot of them, especially moms carry, you know, yeah. find it, finding the time to recover versus finding the time for a glass of wine or right. two completely different, two completely different worlds. And, and for her to be able to take the initiative and, and, you know, after, after her mom's like, you know, I just wish you'd quit drinking. You know? mm -hmm. I wish you'd quit. And finally hearing that, you know, because it, it, to be fair, she, she wanted to quit for a while too. Yeah. You know, like she knew back at the funeral when she got in a fight with her brother and, and blacked out, she knew that normal people don't drink like that. Right. Yeah. And, and it took a little bit more research, you know, she was able to quit for a while, you know, and I commend her for that quit for an entire year. Yeah, That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I commend that. Uh, my hat's off to anyone who can quit for a year without yeah. any kind of program. Well, That's and sometimes a, all that does is enable us, you know? Well, yeah, like it did. Yeah, we start know. thinking that we got it. We yeah. got it. I'm good. Yeah. Just have a little wine on the weekend now. I'll just moderate. You know? Yeah. We've heard yeah. that before. 
Yeah. We learn to moderate. It's not, it doesn't work for us alcoholics. We have no moderation in us. We drink to oblivion. And yeah, I mean, I never wanted to moderate. Well, some people did. You know, like wanted, I wanted to just be lights out. I kind of fantasize about it now, once in a while. Moderating? I'll, I'll find, yeah, I'll, well, I mean, now. I'll find myself like, man, how cool would it be if I could... If I could just drink like a gentleman. Drink, drink on Christmas. Or just do do a little meth on Christmas. Yeah, if I could maybe just smoke a little rock on Christmas. <laughs> Fuck. Like, that's going to make I it shut, better. Somehow. Then I shut that shit down. Yeah. yeah. Get the fuck out of here, man, because uh, I remember you. Right. I remember that. I remember that. that. Desperation. Yeah. yeah. And so I really appreciate Allison sharing everything. You know, she went through a bunch of shit when she was a kid. Um, it's no, it's, it's no wonder, you know, imagine laying there and just praying that nobody sets your dad off. Nobody sets this guy off mm. tonight and thinking that that's just normal. And then going to somebody's house where they're loving and caring and being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What the hell is this about? Weird shit. Yeah. Well, and just, <clears throat> you know, like you have that, she, 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 her her real dad abandoned her, right? And then the step guy, the stepdad comes along and and adopts her, and 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 uh, but then you know there's abuse, yeah. And um, had had his own child with mom, and then things were never quite the same, right? right? And and so when you're when you're experiencing that, when you're feeling that, and then and then you take that first drink, and you all of a sudden that just sort of melts, yeah. right? Like that, that fear of abandonment, the, the fear of rejection, and and that overall just sense of dis-ease. Yeah. It just all evaporates. And it, and so it's, it's, it's no wonder that we, you know, continuously turn to that like she did, you know, again later after she had her first child and, and uh, there was no support for her around on that little island, and and you know and the, the child may have been different, and she wasn't quite sure what to do. Of course, hey man, yeah. I'm going to turn to what what works. This makes me feel better for now. Yeah, for yeah. now. And and sometimes that's all all we need. That's all we want. That's all we can hope it's, for. You know, help me feel better for now, just yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And and yeah, just to see to see her her journey through that, and then you know having two more children, and and who again are, are special needs, and and really just getting to this point with all of that, where she decides, you know, and and I, and I find it fascinating too, the things that it is right because I dare say that you know she had a lot of opportunities leading up to that where. It was probably just as obvious to her that, you know, she's impacting her family, she's impacting her career, her job, everything is, is, is negatively impacted. But then for whatever reason, in that moment, mom said, yeah, I wish you would quit. And that was the moment, you know, yeah, she finally heard and, it. And, 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 and I feel like I have those same moments where, you know, it's like, I just, somebody says the right thing at the right time. And, and that's the thing that inspires us to, to have the courage to do what is necessary. Yeah. Right. And she, she found, you know, through that 
program, this sense of belonging to these women that who who again like shared her story, um, identified with how she was feeling. Exactly, yeah. she, they validated all that stuff that she was feeling inside by by sharing with her their own stories, and they were just so similar that she knew she wasn't alone, and that she knew there was hope. Yep. And and that's that's where we get to. We get to that point where we're willing to listen to others. And yeah. We're willing to hear hope in others, and uh, and that's that's what it takes. That's what it took for me. That's what it took for you. That's what it takes in general. It's just you know knowing that we can get better, and that others do know how we feel, and that they have done. X, Y, and Z in order to get to a point where they're comfortable in their own skin without that booze, without yeah. the drugs. Yeah. Very well put. And we have to be willing to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much. Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. It was great. First delivery, first time telling her story. So good. You'd never guess. You'd never, you'd never guess that. That's right. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing it so vulnerably. I think there's a lot of women that are going to get a lot out of that and some men too. I know I got a lot out of yeah, me that too. story. I connected with you well. So mm-hmm. got a lot of good people in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Maybe see I love it. Connect with Sober Active Canada. Yeah. Alex. Well, my friend, what'd you think? It was good. I, it was good to remember, uh, I, I didn't know how the conversation was going to go, but it didn't take me long to to not even want to talk about what it did for me and talk more about what it did to me. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that too. I think um, you know, like you said, it wasn't wasn't quite sure how the conversation was going to go, and I think that any time that that you venture too far back, there's always that risk of like glorifying yeah. that behavior. Romanticizing. Yeah. Or romanticizing. And, and, uh, and like I said, I mean, there's very, very few instances. In fact, there, I will dare say that there's no instances where the, ro- the, the thought of romanticizing it isn't immediately accompanied by the shit the reality. Yeah. The shit that came with yeah. it. Um, and I'm grateful for that, man. I'm yeah. grateful that I'm to a place now where, um, where I can just see the negative. Um, and so, yeah, it was yeah. interesting, interesting yeah. to talk about. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Allison. Willie. Appreciate you. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, Jordan. Jordan. Um, there's another viewer we have named Jordan who says, every time that we tell this Jordan, thanks, Jordan, he imagines that we're talking to him. Yeah, we are. So I'm going to give him a real shout out. This is to the other Jordan. Jordan, thanks for listening, man. Yeah. Um, And thanks, Ryland. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, everybody who watches the show. Um, Remember, you can support us by liking and subscribing or giving us a five-star rating. It really helps the show. Um, And we appreciate everybody who, who supports the show in their own way. So... With that, um, just remember, you are worth We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.